Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Anne. Hi, everybody. My name's Anne. I'm a compulsive overeater and a bulimic. Hi, Anne. Welcome to the newcomer. I hope you stay here. It's a wonderful place. And also, congratulations to all the birthday people. Yeah, that, that candle totally reminds me of a purple cake. That's why I got it. Um, and I also got it, Francine, because it's huge, like your heart. And um, you have meant so much to me in this program. Um, Francine and I have been working um, the fourth step for... Oh, I guess about six months now in the 12 and 12 where they ask you all the questions and we have the meeting weekly. It's really opened me up um, as a person and I, and I believe you as well. Um, and, you know, that's, that's part of the miracle of this program is, you know, we get to reveal ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I don't come from a place where I'm easily revealed. I just don't. That's, that's not who I am. Um, that's who I'm becoming thanks to this program. First of all, I want to thank Chase so much for asking me uh, to, to speak. It's always an honor and a privilege to speak at a 12-step meeting. I am a multiple addicted person. Um, I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous uh, for the past almost 21 years now, and I'm also involved in Al-Anon, and I'm grateful for, for all the programs that I'm in. I pray that uh, I speak from my heart and not from my ego and my head. I'm very, very nervous. Um, this room means a whole lot to me because this is the room that I came into. I had about 10 years abstinence of long-term abstinence. And then I went out and thought I had cured myself. And I struggled greatly. Um, as you did, I heard that you were in alcoholics Anonymous as well. And I thought because I had all these years in sobriety that, um, you know, my ego, um, that it was too hard for me to come back. So it was really difficult to come back um, the second time around. But when I came to this meeting... Um, people were here with open arms like Leslie and, and Francine and Chase and Mike and so many of you in this room. So um, I, I truly love this room. So uh, what does uh, being a bulimic and a compulsive overeater mean? And that for me included um, binging, starving, purging, eating out of garbage cans, lying, stealing, cheating, uh, dieting, exercising, of course, using laxatives and being so consumed with myself that um, I had lost the, the sunlight of the spirit that I call. I was so obsessed with my body that, you know, my whole world revolved around um, how I looked uh, and how much I weighed and how many inches I was that day. Um, I, I try to stay away from the scale these days. It's, the scale is not my friend um, because, you know, no matter what the number says, it sets me up for failure. If, if, I'm, if I'm below my weight, then woohoo, I can binge. Or woohoo, I can eat a little more. I can put a little more on my plate. And if I'm over it, well, then I'm a piece of shit. And I might as well just, you know, keep on eating. So I, I weigh myself only um, when I go to the doctor's office, and sometimes I just turn around, depending on how I'm, how I'm feeling. Let's see. Uh, I want to stick to the format, and that's uh, what it was like, what happened, and um, what it's like now. In my mind, I've always been what I have coined a food whore. And, um, and I, I, I looked up whore in the book, and it says it's a prostitute. Now, 
there's also another definition for the word prostitute, and that is one who devotes her or his talents to an unworthy cause. And that's what happens to me when I take that first compulsive bite. I become that hooker on the street who's looking for her trick or that drug addict on the corner who will do anything for their fix. I don't care about you. I don't care about uh, uh, the children in my classroom. I don't care about my best friend. I don't care about my partner. I don't care about nothing except where I'm going to get that next bite um, or that next drive-through. I just, you know, everything just goes out the window once, once I take that start. You know, food gave me instant gratification for a long, long, long time. And, you know, growing up, my childhood was, was not a dreamboat by any means, but it also wasn't the worst I've heard either. But what my childhood taught me was how to survive. I became a very good survivor. You know, so food gave me this um, uh, feeling of uh, being full and, 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 and feeling loved. Sugary substances uh, were my favorite. Um, I've always been a really high sugar intake, you know, give me the desserts, give me the ice cream, give me the cakes, cookies, and I will talk about food because that's what this disease is about, is food. And Alcoholics Anonymous, we talk about alcohol, so I'm going to talk about food. Uh, if I offend anybody, I apologize up front. Uh, I remember all the holidays by the food. You know, Thanksgiving, <laughs> Thanksgiving was not about the turkey, it was about the pumpkin pie and the whipped cream on top. It was about the cinnamon uh, cheesecake that my grandmother would make every year, you know. And and uh, Christmas was about the, the big shiny gold can of almond roca that I would get <laughs> with, a, with a pretty gold wrapping, you know, that I would count as I as I ate them. And, you know, Easter was all about the Cadbury eggs, you know, you got the crunchy chocolate and then the filling inside. It looks really gross now that I think about it because it did look like an egg yolk. And then, you know... <laughs> Think about it. And then my personal favorite um, was Halloween. Um, that to me was the the ultimate holiday because it was free candy. You know, it was free drugs. I could go knock on doors and you would give me my drugs. And 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 I don't know about you, but I didn't have one of those cute little pumpkins. You know, that hold about maybe two handfuls of candy. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I didn't have the cute little bags that you put the goblins on and you color in first and second grade. Mm-mm, mm-mm. My brother and I had pillowcases, and we had big pillowcases, the extra large pillowcases, and we wouldn't go out just once. We would go out twice, three times. We would go until they would shut the door in our faces. And then we would have this whole ritual about, uh, you know, dividing up your candy. And then we'd have to hide it because my mother, who's also a compulsive overeater, would steal it. So we'd have to find hiding places to put all our candy in. So this became a, you know, a ritual for us. Um, and I never understood how people could hang on to their Halloween candy for weeks and weeks and weeks. Mine was gone in at the most three days. I mean, at the most three days. Um, and, you know, that was bartering. I would take it to school and I would barter with people. And later on, my, uh, uh, I, I used drugs in the same way. I, I became a drug dealer and kind of did the same thing as I did with candy. I'll talk about that later. Um, so while in school, uh, I was constantly on sugar, uh, so I would zone out a lot. And um, I could remember sitting in school because a lot of stuff was happening at home, and, you know, I would just feel that, that sugar buzz, and I would just sit there, and I would zone out, um, and I loved that feeling. Later, you know, as, a, as an adolescent, we would do a, a similar thing that would kind of give me the same buzz, where you would breathe really hard, and then you'd hold your breath, and then you'd put your head back, and then you'd faint. 
I started doing stuff like that early on, and and to me, you know, it was it was I was constantly looking for that you know that escape. I want to be anywhere but inside me, feeling these feelings. Um, so, uh, and later as an adult, as I said, um, you know, I, I used drugs in the same way. It was anything to escape. Um, and I was I was never a fat child. Um, my family has all been athletic. You know, I grew up playing tennis and softball, and uh, I think that was probably the, the main reason why I was never obese, because my brothers, I had, I have three brothers, I had three brothers, and, you know, we were always moving. Our family was very, very active. Um, um, so, and, oh, and then I remember reading about bulimia for the first time when I was about nine years old. I distinctly remember walking to school, and I was uh, reading a Cosmopolitan, and there was an article about, uh, I think his name was Willie Shoemaker. I'm really dating myself. Willie Shoemaker, who was a, uh, a horse jockey. And what they would do is they would go out, he and his friends, and they would get these huge steak dinners, and then they would gorge themselves, and then they'd vomit. And I thought, that's a really good idea. <laughs> and and I remember filing that back, you know, in my head and thinking, you know what, I might be able to use that um, later. Um, and, you know, as I said, I didn't start gaining weight um, until uh, in my teens. That's when it started to become a problem for me um, in high school. You know, go figure, puberty. Uh, so the hormones set in and started to feel a whole lot of things, and there were some things going on in my home that shouldn't have been going on. And, um, you know, I just, I was uh, stuck with all these feelings and a whole lot of rage. Um, and the, 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 the tennis and the softball and stuff wasn't working anymore. I, ha- I had to do something with this rage. Um, so I started eating. I started eating more, and then I started smoking pot, um, which was, you know, great because it made you laugh. But then I started eating more because, you know, everything tastes better on pot. And um, uh, so in my sophomore year, I started packing on the weight. And, you know, it was very gradual. It was a couple pounds. Uh, two pounds became five pounds, and then five became ten. And then pretty soon, boom, um, by my senior year, I was up to my top weight, which was 132, which is the heaviest weight I'd ever been. And that may not mean nothing to any of you, uh, you know, to some of you, but to a bulimic, you know, two pounds um, in my bulimic mind is like 100 pounds. It's uh, it's like me looking in one of those mirrors that you see at those carnivals, you know, where you know, your body is totally out of whack. And um, I started to develop such a severe self-hatred um, because of my weight, and I blamed everything, um, you know, on my weight. And uh, so what happened is I started the yo-yo dieting. Um, my friends were always on the diet, you know, the dieter's teas, the, the women's pregnant woman's urine. Um, <coughs> gosh, what else did we do? Uh, you know, I don't think Slim Fast was around then. Uh, was it Slender? Yeah, the, the drinks, you know, all those things, which, you know, none of them, well, they all worked for about a minute. And then um, that I discovered uh, white crosses, which are, uh, you know, speed. And um, I really like those um, <laughs> because, number one, it gave me energy to clean the house. And everything was nice and neat and, and clean, and I like that. And um, and I, I had lots of energy. Um, 
So um, that worked for a while, but then as soon as you know it would wear off, then I would go on these mass binges, and then that's when the um, that's when I started doing the, the bulimia. Um, and to me, bulimia was kind of like a power thing because um, it was like a. And I'll get back into I'll get into what happened. Uh, it was like a, a a like fuck you, excuse me. Um, it was like a f you because you know I could eat all this and I'm not going to gain weight. Um, and then, you know, I could, uh, you know, no matter how I did it and where I did it, like, I would only go to certain restaurants because they had the the one stalls. I would never go to the restaurants that had more than two stalls because then they would hear you, you know. The bulimics were shaking their head. Yes. Uh-huh. And um, so, you know, my life started revolving around, um, you know, where I could throw it, where it was convenient. Um, you know, it just took up so much time to, to, to be a bulimic and to be a drug addict. Um, and... Basically, what happened is, you know, I, I went up and down, up and down, and if I sat down and figured out, I'd probably have gained and lost over easily over 100 pounds because I would gain 5, lose 5, gain 10, you know, lose 5, you know, just, just the whole up and down thing. Um, I was anorexic for a, a very brief stint for about a minute, um, and it was drug-induced. It was because at that time I was uh, snorting a whole lot of cocaine and and crystal meth, which was wonderful um, for a minute, and, um, you know, just the the whole lifestyle that I got in was, um, uh, you know, drug-induced, but it was short-lived, thank God. Um, So what happened finally um, was at uh, 31 years old, um, I had had enough, and um, I was tired of the drugs. Um, I was a drug dealer as well in this whole midst of things. and my best friend and I uh, were getting high. We had just done some ecstasy. And we were sitting around. We had both just broken up with our girlfriends. Um, I'm gay, by the way. And got married, tried that, didn't work. And um, so we're sitting there, and we were both just depressed as ever. And we both wanted to commit suicide. We're like, you know what? We can't do this anymore. And uh, so she went home. I was just sitting there, and I was, you know, deep in thought, and I just started praying. You know, I said, God, you know, I, I, I got to do something here. I, I can't, I can't live like this anymore. And uh, she, she called me back, and she said, you know, I really, I don't know what to do, Angie, because I think, um, and she had been sober previously, and um, she said, I think I'm going to go back to AA. And I said, Wow, um, okay, you know, maybe I'll try that too, and. The next day, she went and um, she got involved with a uh, a group called Pacific Group, which is here in West LA, and it's a very uh, tight run um, Alcoholics Anonymous program. And uh, you know what I saw in her was a huge change. They they swooped her up, and uh, she got involved in that program um, like I've never seen her involved in anything else. And she started to change. Um, and the next day what I did was I had to go to the dentist and I had some wisdom teeth pulled and I ordered, um, you know, he gave me a prescription of Percodan. And as soon as I went home, uh, I called him back and said I had, my purse had been stolen so that I could get another prescription of Percodan. Um, so that was my solution. And so I went on for another two weeks, you know, trying to do it Anne's way. And... My friend uh, Kathy continued to get sober, um, and 
I guess after about two months, um, I started going to AA, and after about um, two months, I saw this huge change in her. And I couldn't really explain it, but there was, she had this light in her eye that I had never seen before. And she was doing things that she'd always talked about or that we had always talked about, and now she was actually doing them. Um, she started going back to school. She started showing up for work. She started doing all the things that, you know, normal um, people do. And, um, you know, I was in awe of her. And um, so I... I uh, and I said, okay, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to, um, you know, give this, give this a try. And I um, started working the steps, and I got a sponsor, and I got really involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and you know, I got sober. Um, and what happened is, after about two years of sobriety, I got really, really depressed because um, when I took away all the drugs, of course, I gained weight. And, uh, you know, I started getting up there in the pounds, and the self-hatred really started coming back. And I really felt disconnected from my AAs because, you know, here I was, you know, talking about serenity and working the steps and and then, you know, going in the bathroom and, and barfing, you know. And I was feeling this huge divide, and, um, and I was also feeling this huge divide that I was lying to God, you know. And, um, but I, I didn't trust that God could help me with this thing. You know, I thought that it was so petty. You know, this is just about food. I can't bother God about food. You know, and um, finally uh, I sought outside help and I started going to a therapist and she suggested um, Overeaters Anonymous and I started going. I still couldn't get sober. Um, and then I got highly suicidal, um, wanted to die, and actually went and looked at guns. Um, and went back to my therapist and said, you know, I, I have to do something. I, I don't want to live. I can't live like this. I'm just so full of self-hatred. And she said, you know, you know, let's send you to a psychiatrist. So I went um, to a psychiatrist against all... Uh, I did not want to go to it because of the, the voices that I would hear in AA because at that time, you know, they were like, no, you don't take anything from the waist down, but it's extra from the waist down. To make a long story short, um, I went on antidepressants and um, felt better um, after about six weeks and then I started going to OA and I started to hear what was actually um, going on and um, got real involved in OA and that's when um, you know things started um, changing for me um, and let's see you know since since uh, since I got back to OA you know that friend of mine um, who got sober stayed sober for a long term um, and she got to do all those things that, you know, we talked about. She went back and she got her degree and um, she got long-term sobriety and she, she got the girlfriend and she, uh, you know, did all these things and, um, you know, I started to follow in her footsteps or I should say my footsteps and I went back to school and going back to school was a huge thing for me because I grew up feeling, you know, basically not very smart, um, the the tape in my head was always, you know, you're fat, you're stupid, uh, and you're not good enough. And um, so when I went back to school, uh, I finished my degree, and then um, I went back and uh, finished, uh, or got my teaching credential. Um, and then in 2002, I started a new job as a teacher. 
and the pressure of being over 45 kind of hit me. And, uh, oh, and during this time, I've been absent for about 10 years now, back in the classroom. And then what happened in um, uh, 2002 is uh, I thought I was cured of um, compulsive overeating and started getting back into the bulimia and um, ended up back in this room, thank God. Uh, so I got a sponsor, um, and I worked the steps this time around. And she suggested, and I think part of the, the reason why I kept failing in this program, and I also tried how, and I don't know if anybody's tried how, but it was a great program. It was a very rigid, but it, you know, I was really grateful to it because it taught me how to eat. I don't know about you, but I didn't know what a meal was. Uh, and I certainly didn't like to eat them. Um, you know, <laughs> my meals were, you know, drive throughs and on the go and, um, you know, shoving things in my face in the dark, you know, with a shade straw and watching TV. And how taught me, you know, there's food groups and um, you don't eat between meals. Um, you know, you call in your food to, to a sponsor and, um, you know, you have protein at every meal. You know, all these things I've learned, you know, in the, in the 12 steps in, in these meetings. Um, my my absence currently for me is uh, I don't throw up no matter what. That is, that's all I can do right now. Um, and hats off to anybody who can who can do perfect abstinence. Um, you know, God love you. I there's no way I'm doing perfect absence now. I don't know what that is. Um, I do um, the best that I can. You know, on a daily basis, I still struggle with food. Um, every day, it, it's like that rapacious creditor that they talk about in the book, you know, in the big book that comes out, you know, three times a day. Um, so they need to oil that. And um, so, you know, I got a sponsor, <laughs> worked the steps. Um, she she suggested that I, um, you know, say that uh, your absence should be just you no know, throwing up, no matter what. And my current food plan is three meals a day with two snacks if needed. Um, I try to stay away from sugar, but if I do eat it, not knowingly, then that's not breaking my abstinence. Um, I still am praying for the willingness every day to give up desserts. I still have sugar-free stuff. Um, um, for me, you know, restriction doesn't work because I, I was so restricted growing up, um, and it, it just doesn't work for me. Uh, as far as, you know, what, it, what it's like you now, I think the last time I shared it, shared here about a year ago, I shared that, you know, I was planning my wedding with my partner. And, you know, we have since gotten married and we've been together. We're in our 17th year. Um, yeah, and to me, you know, that's huge because, you know, my relationships, especially with people, were maximum two years. You know, that that was like long term for me. And to be uh, involved with somebody, is that the, that, okay, holy moly, okay, um, to be involved with somebody for, you know, almost 17 years, to ha have an honest, healthy relationship, she's also uh, sober and, and um, abstinent, in the program is amazing to me. Um, if you, you know, would have told me that, that I could accomplish all these things, um, you know, by just working these steps, uh, you know, I would have told you, first of all, to shove it because I don't, wouldn't believe you. And second of all, you know, um, you know, it would, would have been too much work. Um, you know, I'm, 
I have a job that most days I adore. Um, I have friends and family that I can count on and who can count on me. You know, I live with um, my partner's parents who are in their 80s. Her mother has Alzheimer's. Um, you know, and we take care of each other. Uh, you know, we have this big house that, that we share the chores with. Um, you know, they're from the, the Depression era, so he's still fixing things with, you know, duct tape. And I don't know what that whole thing is about, but, you know, it's like, it's okay. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're the, they're the parents that I didn't have. I'm not to negate my parents at all because I know they did the best they, they could. But, you know, they have been, for me, the window to what, uh, you know, a normal family is all about. And that's, you know, loving and caring. Um, you know, we sit down and we have dinner, uh, a meal, you know, every night at 6 o'clock. Well, actually, it's 5.30 now. And, you know, we talk about our day. Uh, we listen to each other. Uh, you know, we, we, we deeply care about each other. Um, I have 15 nieces and nephews um, that we share amongst us. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I was sitting there, you know, thinking about, you know, all the gifts um, that this program, you know, has given me in all the 12 steps. And, and it would take me hours you know, I, I've done things in here that I just never dreamt possible, like skydive, you know, like <laughs> climb mountains that to me were impossible, like, you know, running. I hate running. I, I run every day now, you know. Um, my days, um, when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is, um, you know, I read my daily meditations from my programs, and I say this angel prayer. And I get on my knees, and I say the first three steps in the seven-step prayer, seven prayer, and then my angel prayer. And then I take my dog for either a run or a, you know, a meditation walk. And if I don't start my day off like that, you know, if I don't do that prayer and that connection with God, thank you, you know, my day is like that VA commercial where the guy is walking, you know, sideways. Um, and I heard, um, you know, an AA speaker say once that, um, you know, when she drank, she felt uh, wittier, tittier, and prettier, you know, and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, you know, food never really did that for me, but it did numb me out, um, and, you know, I'm really thankful today that, that I don't have to, I, I don't look forward to getting numbed out today. Today, you know, I can't say that I look forward to certain feelings, but I know that I'm going to get through those feelings. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And I'm going to end uh, with some of my favorite quote, quotes that I've heard over the years um, so I can answer some questions. Uh, one is, I have enough, I am enough, and I do enough. And be not afraid of growing slowly. Be afraid of standing still. Um, don't stuff your face. Face your stuff. <laughs> This is one of my favorites. But, but, but is the mating call of an asshole. <laughs> I love that one. And I heard this one from a speaker once, and I could relate it to it. My mother's house is not a safe place to land, so don't keep going back to the nut house. And the last one is, I may not be perfect, but parts of me are excellent. Thank you for letting me share.
Yes. Can you talk about your higher power and challenges connecting with your higher power? Can I talk about my higher power and my challenges talking with my higher power? Um, my higher power is awesome. Um, when I first got sober, uh, my second sponsor, and I've had a few sponsors, um, told me to write down what I want <coughs> my higher power to be. And um, she had me do two. She had me do what she, what I thought my higher power was, what I grew up with, and then what I wanted, it, wanted my higher power to be. And my first one was, you know, pretty much looked like Jesus with a robe and a beard and was pretty much a, a guilt-driven God um, who judged me, who condemned me, um, who especially didn't accept my sexuality. So that was what I came with. And the, the higher power that I created was more of a goddess, um, but it's, there's no gender-specific for me now. It's either, it could be a guy, it could be a woman, but it's... Uh, it's a person who, uh, or a being that accepts me as I am, fully, completely, um, as a, as a, when I think of my higher power, I just picture white light, bright, bright, white light. And, and that is a pure, you know, as pure as it can get. So when I feel the darkness, you know, when I start to feel darkness, then I just think of that, that bright light. And whatever goes into that light is going to be pure. I don't know if that, that helps you. And I still, you know, I still struggle with the food thing as far as my higher power because in the back of my mind, I still feel that it's a petty thing and I shouldn't bother my higher power. But that's the old, that's the old God, not the new God. The new God says, oh, Anne, get over it. You haven't thrown up for almost five years, girl. Come on. You know, so. Yes. Hi, I'm Corinne. Hi, Corinne. everyone. Thank you so much. Um, can you talk about, you mentioned being in multiple programs, can you talk a little bit about how you work in you know, three different programs, the sponsor in each, the steps in each, how does that look, how many meetings, how you split up, you know, I struggle with that. Great question. Um, her question was, uh, being in multiple programs, how do you work multiple programs, dealing with different sponsors and working the steps? Um, you know, this is what I struggled with before coming to this meeting. Um, I am going to be... Uh, 21 years sober uh, this November and I have not had a sponsor in, in AA um, I'm in touch with a lot of my AA friends so we kind of you know sponsor each other uh, I would not recommend that for anyone um, but I, I had a sponsor up until uh, my 19th year and my sponsor died and that was a huge thing for me um, and to be quite honest I'm very very untrusting of people, so to ask somebody to sponsor me is a really hard thing for me, um, and one that I obviously need to get over. Um, and in OA, um, I've had about four sponsors, and currently, I you know I would say that Francine is sponsoring me because we've been sponsoring each other. That's not something that I would recommend either. Um, but her and I have been working the steps because I think you know both of us have you know trust issues. So we thought you know until we both get sponsors, then. We'll do it together. So, hope that answers your question. Anybody else? Hey, Heather. Thank you. No, did that say that? Yes, my my abstinence is uh, no throwing up, no matter what. My food plan is no sugar, refined sugar. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. yeah. I want to rip your head off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Call people. Um, wrote about it. Um, and you know, you know, like I said earlier, I still have sugar-free stuff, um, and that's something that I struggle with. Um, and my family, you know, the, the one that I eat with every every night, they are dessert freaks. I mean, it's all the time. You know, every night there's cake and ice cream. So, you know, it's something that I really struggle with. And I have, you know, I have my sugar-free ice cream, to be honest. I'm, I, I can't give that up yet. For me, I just can't. So, yeah, and when I don't, yeah, I want I want to rip your head off. Francine? <laughs> yeah. You had mentioned that you, you have ice cream, sugar-free ice cream in the house, and perhaps there are other sugar-free desserts as well that you eat. I, as a compulsive over-eater, I cannot keep ice cream in my house mm. because the portion that I'm going to eat is the container that it comes in. So how is it that you're able to take a normal portion or the portion that the manufacturer recommends? <laughs> a measuring cup. Yeah. And, you know, and, and to be honest, you know, Francine, if I'm PMS, the measuring cup gets a little higher, you know, and, and, I, and I have learned that I cannot sit there and take out that ugly stick, which is what I call it, and beat myself up. You know, it's progress, not perfection. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. And I have to say, say that to myself all the time because my perfectionism will come in and just beat the crap out of me. So, and I don't recommend my, my food plan to anybody, first off. So, mm -mm. Yes. Thank you so much, Risha. Can you talk about the stresses of teaching? Yeah. <laughs> I know for me, like, and it's always been like this, between 3.30 and 5.30 are the hardest hours of the day. Do you have any strategies that have worked for you? Well, I stopped keeping food in my refrigerator. I have a little refrigerator at my classroom. I stopped doing that. Um, and phone calls. I, in the afternoon, I'll sometimes call somebody. Most of the time, I'm so busy between that time. But what, what does happen is meetings, you know, they always have all that junky food. Um, I'll take an apple. You know, I, I have my apple. That's, that's my snack time right there is so I'll take an apple or some nuts, you know, in the, in the portion packages from Trader Joe's. So, yeah. Anybody else? I'm brand new, so I guess I can identify myself now. Well, uh, I'm really struggling with uh, what to do first. Um, people said find a sponsor. I'm, I'm having a really hard time. I know I have to stop some of my old behaviors. I, I would be a compulsive over here for a minute. But I don't know what to do instead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so mm. Well, there's the 12 tools. There's the 12, the 8 tools, 8 tools. And there's phone calls, and there's a whole list. We have um, Mike right here can help you with a new, newcomer packet. And there's a whole lot of literature that is excellent. Um, I would start getting into that book. Be a student. You know, be a good student and start researching, you know, how, how do these people do this. And phone calls, phone calls, phone calls, phone calls, phone calls. You know, start calling us. Get our numbers. You know, I'd be glad to give you mine. You can call any time. So, yeah, it's getting involved. Get commitments. And there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff. I mean, there's, there's you're going to hear a whole lot of information. So fasten your seatbelt. It's a bumpy ride. Thank you.